Today's episode is presented by Tudor University. It's the only online learning resource for college coaches who want to become dominant recruiters. Visit dantutor.com for all the details. And now, it's time for the show. That's right. It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host, your friendly neighborhood catwalker, Dan Tudor. Hey, Coach, welcome to the show. This is Dan. Great to have you aboard. Hope your week is going great and the start of your recruiting year is going even better. Interesting topic we're going to dive into today, and I'm going to be short with the introduction since it's a long conversation with this coach who called in with a question to us that a lot of coaches have, especially this time of year as you're preparing to recruit a new class and you're approaching the whole process again. And that question is, what is the right strategy? How do we develop a strategy specific to our program that we know is going to work or that will at least have a high degree of success? How do we develop that? What is the right or wrong way to do that? And we had this great conversation with a coach who was willing to kind of share his program story with us and let us go through with him some of the ideas, suggestions that we typically give coaches when they uh, are asking that question. So uh, I want to jump right into it. I will say really quickly, we have started a, a new resource for college coaches and uh, it's a daily email. Now, if you're a client, you're already getting these emails, these uh, these training emails. If you're not, you can get in on it without being a client. You can go to dantutor.substack, S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K.com. And there's some free content up there as well, but but we go through this this um, daily training. A lot of coaches have asked for this over the years. We just didn't have a good way to deliver it. We found a great platform to deliver it on, and we're doing that. And it's getting a great response. Coaches are really liking it. So if you like the podcast, if you like um, our um, uh, our Tuesday newsletter that goes out, you've attended a workshop or heard us speak at a convention or something, and you want more, there's a very uh, dirt-cheap way to get it. Um, a couple of cents a day uh, really investing into your college coaching career is uh, what you can get at that site, dantutor, D-A-N-T-U-D-O-R dot substack.com. Check it out. See if it's right for you. It's another resource that we're adding in. Um, and also there are some uh, small five-minute podcasts that we do as a part of that as well. So just a, a cool new resource I wanted to tell you about. But back to this conversation, we're going to dive into the whole topic of developing the right recruiting strategy with this coach. So listen in as we take him through the steps and see if they would apply to you and your program. But we're going to start things off with the situation as outlined by this coach. Hey, Dan. So here's uh, here's what's happening. Uh, we're a small school in New England. Uh, we're not affiliated with the NCAA. And we've just kind of, you know, seemingly keep feeling like, you know, maybe we're just not getting the done, job done recruiting, um, you know, getting close to preseason. Panic starts to set in where you start looking at your roster and what you thought you were going to have. And at the end of the day, it's it's not quite not quite what you thought and you start to have those thoughts in your head of, you know, should I have gone to another tournament? Should I have had a bigger recruiting funnel at the beginning of things here? You know, should I have reached out to more players? And I'm just trying to figure out, you know, at the end of the day, is that something I'm doing recruiting wise or is it, you know, is there a couple other facets in there, you know, affecting that as well? Right. 
Right. Okay. So a couple of things as we start into this, this topic that, first of all, it's interesting that you went to, should you have gone to some more tournaments? Because I think that's the go-to answer for most coaches these days is if I'm not, if things aren't happening or if the roster at the end of the day or heading into a new year in this case, isn't where it needs to be, then I did something wrong. It's my fault. And the solution to that is, um, more work. I should I should have done more, spent more time in the office, gone to more tournaments, whatever that case may be. And I I rarely find that it's for a, a lack of of uh, work outside the office. It, it, you know that's rarely the issue. So that's the good news. I don't think it's anything that you are that, that you have failed to do uh, on the on the scouting side. Um, and that's I, I very clearly I separate scouting those activities, which is going to tournaments, you know, collecting the names. That's that's scouting, and then the recruiting part is when you're actually in contact with with um, with prospects. So if, I, if you hear me describe both, there is a in my mind a definite, a definite separation. Sure. Um, what I want to do is sort of back up to where your program is at now, just with numbers, uh, with with uh, what incoming classes are looking like, and what your total roster is, what your school says they want from you, and then let's try to back work our way backwards into what the numbers should be and, and maybe even uh, what the target is. So right now uh, you're, where is the roster at now? Yeah. So uh, I I took the program over three years ago. I'm going to my third season as the full-time head coach. Got it. Uh, That first year I had 13 guys on the team and we were just kind of hanging on for dear life. Okay. Um, the following season, I was like, man, I, I don't ever want to be in this position again. So I just, anything and everything that came through the door, we were taken. So I had, I added 14 guys that year, uh, going into the next season, I had 28 show up at preseason. We okay. carried about 26 throughout the season. Okay. So basically you doubled it. Yeah. Yeah. And like okay. super comfortable roster size. I was never looking at the bench going, Oh my God, I got to yeah. put so-and-so in. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Um, and then kind of right now I, I looking ahead um, to this upcoming fall. Um, you know, I was about a week ago, I was sitting at about 25 to 26 guys again, where I was comfortable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has actually dropped down. So, uh, currently as of count today, I'm looking at, uh, between 19 and 21 being at preseason. Okay. So a little bit of a drop, but not to where it's, uh, it was at 13. So you've right. Right. Okay. So that's now, so ideally is, is 28 that ideal number? I, um, <laughs> for for both you as a coach and also, I mean, we have to also ask about admissions and what they want from you, because just like many of the coaches listening to this, this might be a numbers driven uh, endeavor. I mean, they want you to coach and win and good luck with that coach. But we also need X number from you from a pure admission standpoint. So what how does that look at your school? Yeah, so that's actually a really, really awesome that you brought that up. So right now we're kind of in those growth phases in athletics where everyone wants to see us bring in you know, X amount of athletes per year. And we're starting to get into that argument of, of first touch who had the first touch with this athlete. Right. Oh, so um, who gets credit for it on campus type of it, thing? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's always fun. Oh, it's, you know, it's great when you get that email from admissions that's, oh, I can't believe you're claiming him. I talked to him two years ago at a college fair. <laughs> Wait a second. Yeah. Yeah. So there's no, uh, that said, there's no set, set number for us to bring in. Um, we've trying to been, 
uh, to argue with the administration on healthy roster size, you know, and, and for me as a coach, I believe like 24 to 26 um, is kind of a, a comfortable spot, um, right. especially with kind of at this point, a lack of an assistant coach as well. Right. So really it is only you doing the, the bulk of the, the recruiting work. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm the okay. recruiter. I'm the coach. I'm booking all of our travel. Lead um, janitor. Yep, yeah. Got it. Yeah. Line in the field on Saturday <laughs> yep. evening. There you go, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Doing it all. Okay. Uh, okay. So, okay. So maybe describe again, sort of with those numbers, you're, you're a little bit below. Mm-hmm. You're not to where you started. You weren't, you're, you're not at 13, but you're not at 28. You're, and you're just maybe three or four uh, athletes below what you've defined as your target, which is 24 or 26. Yep. Um, was there anything that changed between year two and last year or how are you going to define those last two? When were you at 28? Now you're at 19 to 21 uh, heading into this year. Was there a, did you approach things any differently between those, those two years? I did. Uh, okay. So that first year when I had brought in the 14 guys, um, you know, I was looking at anyone who had submitted an inquiry form to the school that said they had an interest in soccer. Right. And, and there was no, like, I, I wasn't at that point grading them on ability level. Um, so whether you were a C minus or a B plus, we right. were, you know, we were talking to you and trying to get you didn't you didn't care if admissions got the credit or if you did you just needed the bodies that's exactly it and you know i knew some of the guys that were in those lists uh that i had gotten could play and i knew there was some that were were kind of on that b plus a minus scale and i was i was happy with that um this year i kind of recognized like all right i don't know if i need to bring in as many um our retention has always been really good this is the first year that i haven't had that great retention so okay. I wasn't as concerned about bringing in the numbers, but I wanted to shorten that talent gap between number one and number 24. Right. Okay. And as far as, as far as losing some of the guys mm-hmm. on the team, um, you had mentioned that uh, there are, you know, I think you said that uh, seven aren't returning to the school, which maybe is a cost thing. You might know some more details about what, you know, what was behind those seven, but you're not, so seven, it's not like they're dissatisfied with the team, don't right. like the sport anymore. They're just not coming back to the school. Right. Um, and uh, and then you had two that you described as falling in, <laughs> falling in love and wanting to spend more time, quote unquote, focusing on schoolwork. Exactly. Um, so they're going to be at the school, obviously, because the person they fell in love with is probably at the school, too. Yeah. Yeah. OK. So in other words, normal, normal teenage, young adult you know, issues coming up and all of a sudden their sport isn't as important as it, as it once was. Exactly. Um, exactly. So, so of those nine, seven not returning two that fell in love and are focusing on schoolwork, would you describe, like, how would you break down if you had an A, A players, B players, C players in terms of talent, A is obviously being the best. How would each one of those nine, like, break me down into those three groups if you had to do it that way? Yeah. I'm sort of curious as to which caliber of players are we talking about here? Right. So I would say a lot of them, um, a majority of those seven not returning to school fall somewhere between that C plus to B. Um, Okay. One of them is definitely an A minus, um, like first team all state player out of high school kind of guy. Um, had options and really liked what we had to offer. So ended up here. Um, 
And then I had another who were kind of trying to work on getting back to school actually in the last day or two, who um, was definitely like a strong, strong A minus, steady A, uh, okay. A type player. So. Got it. Okay. So. Okay, so you have the majority are in the B minus C plus range. Two, yeah. one, one to two um, are better. Now, so more good news that I'll give you is that that's about like if you take a Division One roster, pretty much across sports, if they're going to lose athletes, it's usually that kid who either wasn't getting a lot of playing time, they knew they weren't the priority, and of course there they have options. They can go into the transfer portal. Or they can, uh, you know, just again choose to just go to school, or they can trans. You know, they, there's other options, but they aren't going to be coming back to that team, and that's usually what we see as uh, as the reason is that most of those athletes are just not getting the playing time. Sure. And so you you stack up from a ratio standpoint, I think pretty close to that. And I, I say that's good news, not because you want that, but because again, it's not something that you're doing wrong. I think that it's just. You know, you have in in your sport, you know, where there's a certain number of, of guys playing at one time and you have more than double that number that are that are not. And, um, you know, so that's that tends to be, uh, you know, that that attrition is where we see that where it's coming from is, is that group. Um, so, you know, I'm trying to work this backwards into sort of a, a math equation a little bit that. If you if you look at that, um, well, let me actually go back to year two. When you were up to the twenty eight, did you have any anybody leaving the program then as well? So you lost nine starting into this fall. Two falls ago, did you have any? What were the numbers that you were losing? Um, so between like year one and year two, I didn't lose mm -hmm. anyone. Okay. Um, I had a few players who had kind of stuck through that fall who kind of came in at that next preseason and recognized they were on that lower end. And uh, I would say maybe two or three had kind of dropped off during preseason. Right. Sure. Uh, but other than that, it was, was pretty steady. Okay. All right. So, so the first thing that I would say to you and any coach that's listening is that with this generation of athlete, doesn't matter if you're coaching a D1 school, D2, D3, NAIA, uh, junior college, anything in between. Just take any any college program. You have to factor in attrition and uh, loss of a certain percentage of your roster every year. Now, again, at the D1s, they they have put things in place where it's easier to basically elect free agency and and go and you know try to get on at another school. Sure. Um, a little more difficult at, at some of the other uh, some of the other schools. So, I think you have to plan for that. Now, what I have seen successful coaches do is figure out, and you have a three year history here that you could do this with. Uh, well, really a full two year history, yeah. uh, not counting the first the first year where you're just sort of putting a bare bones you know, team together. But but you have you're going to have a history of an average number of athletes that are not going to be there the next year. So, for instance, if you let's just say that average between the two years is four, uh, it's it's in that range, four to five. You can use whichever ever number you want. I would say that if you want to end up at the number twenty-eight, if or twenty, let's just say twenty-five, because you said between twenty-four and twenty-six. So let's just say twenty-five. 
that means I think that you end the previous year with 30 on the roster. Because what's going to happen some years is you're going to lose seven or six. Another year you might only lose three. But you're going to, if that's the goal, if that's the range, then I would say that's, you're going to have to, you're going to have to, it's not really even over-recruiting, but you're going to have to um, account for the fact that you're going to lose some some athletes. And usually that happens after their freshman year or after their sophomore year. Um, if they've stuck around by the time they're juniors and seniors, then usually they're going to, um, they're, they're going to, most of those are going to stick because now they're past the halfway point and they've, they decided to stick it out that far. Um, so does that, does that make sense? And also, I guess my follow-up question is, is, were you approaching any of it in that way before? Did you sort of intentionally over-recruit or were you trying to hit like, I need, I, I want 25 and so I'm going to try to perfectly land on that number of 25? Um, no, I don't think I was, um, coming at it just from that. I don't think I expected to have the drop-off that I did. Okay. Um, so one of those players that did drop off was a keeper. He was a freshman keeper, um, probably one of the best keepers that's ever come through our program. Um, really excited about him. And he was one of the guys who dropped off and he dropped off so late um, in my recruiting right. that trying to find a keeper now is like, Oh my God, what am I going to do? Like, right. you know, that was kind of the, uh, I, I would say that was kind of the turning point to me being like, all right, I'm going to reach out here. Like I got to, something's got to change. Something's got to get Yeah. Right. Well, and, and so that's, listen, again, I, I see you doing and, and, and sort of thinking the same way that most coaches think is, l let's just say you were looking for, uh, for one goalkeeper and you got him and he was good. And most coaches sit back and think, good. Okay. I got that one. And then something happens and he or she will go away. Um, I think in the future, if you need one, especially at a key position like that, where it's more more singular, you know, you're not going to want to carry, um, you know, six goalkeepers the way you would maybe six forwards or something. Sure. If you if you look at that number strategically, because um, I, I really want to formulate all of our talk around the idea of developing a strategy and a clear sort of methodology for doing it at your school, that anybody listening to this could do this at their school. I think you have to look at positions or, you know, if you're a swim track and field coach, you look at events where you need a certain number and overshoot for that number. Not by a lot, not, not by, you know, you know, you need three at, in an event and you're, you're going to now recruit six or seven. But I think certainly, you know, at a goalkeeper, next time it comes around, I need one. I would probably sign or, or um, get, too committed or make that my target because one of them over those next two or three years is likely probably to drop out. They're not going to like the competition. They fall in love. They want to focus on school. They get homesick and move closer to home. Whatever it is, you're going to lose one. And again, I find so many coaches, I'm not saying this is you coach, but I find so many coaches that are um, trying to hit this and walk this tightrope and hit this perfect number at the end. I need a class of of eight or nine athletes. I'm going to recruit these eight or nine because I don't want to tell anybody no and break their hearts at the end. And and what happens is either um, most of the time you don't sign all nine, you sign four, and then you're scrambling at the end to fill in the blanks for the for the other five. Or somehow you get lucky and you hit those nine, and then something like this happens and you lose it. Um, 
the only way I've seen it work well in developing a good ongoing program is to to aim a little bit higher in terms of the number that's coming in. So if you again, if you need nine, maybe recruit 11 or 12 or figure on signing 11 or 12, knowing that on average, I'm going to lose X number every year. That's going to be different for each coach. But um, I would encourage you as sort of a step one in reevaluating how you approach this. Um, I would I would definitely look and say for this next class, if I need X, I need to really do X plus three or X plus four, whatever you, whatever you figure the attrition rate uh, to be. Now, my second sort of part of this is among those nine that left, uh, because it's becoming more and more of a conversation across college sports. Why are kids leaving? Why do we lose them? What could we have done to keep them? Of those nine, are were they within 50, 70 miles of the school, or were they outside, close to home, far away from home? How would you categorize them just yeah. from a profile standpoint? Definitely, like off the top of my head, at first, at first thought, I'd say most of them were more than 100 miles from home. Okay. So, so taking that, you know, in and of itself, so not going home very much, um, maybe parents, girlfriend, friends, whoever aren't able to come watch their games. I'm a fan of small schools recruiting out of their area because most of the time you have to, especially you're in a very crowded Northeast market and you just, you know, it's, it's tough to get enough players interested. So I think you have to go out. But knowing that there's a higher percentage of out-of-state kids that are probably likely going to, you know, not stick, or if they're going to leave, they're going to be from these out-of-state regions, you almost develop then a little uh, a, a sub-calculation that um, if I, if I'm just random, randomly tossing numbers out for this example, let's say 50% of your roster is from 100 miles or further away from campus, and I know that 90% of every kid that transfers comes from that group. I I know I have two choices. I can either not recruit that group as heavily, which may or may not be even feasible given location or, you know, how many other schools there are to choose from in the market or we don't have, you know, this this and this major. You can you can decide to, you know, account for it that way or you just say that, you know, they're we're not they're just going to get homesick. They just aren't going to adapt here to either our campus culture, the the, the area, um, whatever. For instance, there's a lot of schools in the Northeast, Midwest that love Florida athletes, and and there's not enough schools in Florida for all the Florida athletes to go to in in pretty much any sport. And so it's a really lucrative recruiting ground. And they recruit, you know, they all go to outside Miami and recruit a lot of great athletes who just want the chance to play. At least that's their mindset going in. I just want, I want to play somewhere. I can't, there's not enough places here in Florida. Yeah, I'll come to Michigan. I'll go to Iowa. I will head out to Nebraska or up to Massachusetts. And they get there. And after a year, they say, wow, this is just so different. And I miss home. And you know what? I'm just not even going to play my sport anymore. And we see that a lot. Now, I'm not, again, saying that don't recruit out of state because I, you know, just based on your information and profile, I don't think that's an option. I think you have to recruit out of the area to get the talent and the numbers that you need to get. But understand that if you're recruiting that out-of-state athlete, and we know that they're more likely to, to be the ones to decommit or to, um, 
uh, you know, leave at some point, you're going to have to either recruit a lot more of them because a lot of them are going to stick, or you're going to have to you know, recruit the same numbers, but understand that there is a far deeper level of, of explanation as to, look, here's what it's like here. Why do you want to come to this part of the country? What, what, what makes sense for you to go three hours away from home? Why does that seem like a good thing? Because I, I think this is the coach's responsibility to ask those questions because most kids are just thinking, I want to play somewhere. Hey, that sounds cool. Yeah, I'll go there. And then they get there, and that's when the deconnection happens. Um, so I think that if you're going to recruit, or any coach is going to recruit, you know, a kid from two, three, five hours away from campus, do it. I'm a fan of it. I think you have to do it. But understand that there are. I also want you to get the best possible kid and fit for um, for that, um, you know, for your situation, for your campus. Does that make sense, or that you know that there's there's a there's probably an extra level of understanding that those kids need to have? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that was kind of my thought going into the whole uh, recruiting season this year was like, you know, I need to get out of this area more. I need to need to get further, you know, further south where guys are playing year round and there's fewer opportunities for them. And you know, I did spend some time in in kind of the 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 Tampa area uh, throughout right. the winter recruiting and you know we did get a lot of interest but as soon as guys figured out what the winter was like here it was kind of right. like oh I don't know if I can handle that like that's not for me and and I you know I can appreciate that ahead of time um, you know rather than having it happen a week before preseason or during preseason right. or, you know during winter break suddenly right so I think yeah for you I you know if you were to go back down to Florida or just outside of your northeastern region um, even if it's, you know, it's similar from a weather standpoint, you, you just go to another colder weather state that, you know, gets the same type of weather in the, uh, in the winter. I think it, it, the second part of this strategy is to really question them as to, you know, look, we're interested. We think you can play. Here's, here's how I think you're going to fit in and why I want you, but here's where our school is. And let's just say, whether you're a small or large campus to find it. So we're a big campus. Why does that seem like a good fit? Why do you want to go to a big school and vice versa? We're a small campus, rural. Why is it that that seems like a good fit for you? Because if I'm a coach and I hear from that athlete after asking that question, ah, you know, coach, I don't know. I just I'm gonna see what's out there and I'm just looking at my options. And, you know, I just, just, you know, it sounds like it could be fun. Not that I can't get that kid. I just don't know that 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 they're sold. It, it, in other words, there's not a reason that they want to be there. They're just looking for some place to play. And again, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And I'm not saying don't roll the dice and take that chance. But then it comes to planning for what what you do with that group that is more likely to leave after two years. I'm just going to have to recruit more of them. And 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 do my uh, the best job possible when it comes to um, when it comes to um, getting getting their buy-in as to why it's a good culture and location fit. You know, so that's I think that's the uh, the the second part of of this strategy. So I'm going to stop there. What what follow-up questions does that generate for you? Just in in that concept. Yeah, in that, like, I think that's really like a, 
a good look at it. And I think now that I, I look back at it, I kind of had in my head, like kind of that, that false number of like, all right, I need to bring in nine to 10 guys where really I should have been looking at a, a, a little bit larger number there. Um, knowing that there, there may be some drop off, I guess. Right. Um, that's kind of a, a huge, you know, a, a huge thought kind of moving forward. Right. And I think the other thing, too, that I'd want to move to as a conversation point is once they're there, so no matter where they came from, you have this group coming in, and you do this year, too, um, smaller numbers because you've lost some, but um, but you you have those um, you have those kids that are coming in. Once they're there, and this is a growing conversation on especially smaller enrollment-driven campuses, but even in the Division I schools, what happens is there's all this time and attention that a coach puts on the athlete when they're a prospect. And there's an excitement, and we want you here, and you're looking at your board and saying, gosh, it'd be great if he's here because I can plug him in here and here, and I think this is what he could develop into. And so you're having all this thought, and you're maybe talking about some of that with, with your recruit. They commit. They come to campus. And what normally happens, we're finding, is that coaches immediately jump back into coach mode and say, okay, you're here. Now, look, you're not good enough to play right away. There's these other sophomore and junior ahead of you, but work hard and, you know, and, but, but your normal focus, especially in your situation, one coach basically managing the whole team, even if you have one or two walk on guys that help with the uh, coaches that help, you know, on the field coaching, uh, you're the one that is leading it. You're the one that's on campus the full time. And what we find and hear from athletes is that, wow, I'm just one of, in your case, 25 guys. And I, you know, because when he was recruiting me, I thought I was the only one. And now I'm here and there's a lot of other players. And heck, they're good players, too. That's the other thing is that not only are there a lot of them, they're good. They're better than me. That 21-year-old kid is a lot better than me as an 18-year-old. And they don't usually voice it to a coach, but that's where they start thinking, is this the place for me? Did I make a huge mistake? This is no fun. I'm not playing. And usually, too, the coach hasn't sat down with those new freshmen and said, look, now here's what you're facing. You're coming in and, you know, there's two guys in front of you, whatever their situation is. But here's the plan and here's what I want you to develop into. And so I mean, it's not important whether, you know, what, where you fell into that category, coach. but moving forward, when you recruit those guys and when they come in, I think it is vital to explain to them what the plan is this freshman year. And then if to the extent you can, when you get into your sophomore year, here's what I want you to do. And then by your junior year, this, 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 and this I see happening if you do the workouts and learn the system and whatever their, you know, their positional case would be. So I want you, I would encourage you or any coach listening to that to really this year define more of the plan because the reason I'm focusing so much on that is that when we talk to athletes that are on a campus and explaining, asking them to explain to a coach, what is it about what you need to hear that really gets you interested in the school? It's not facilities. It's not your division level. It's not even necessarily the, the the money, the roster spot, that type of thing. It's, I want to know what the plan is. I want to know why, basically why he wants me and how, how he sees me being an asset to the program. And how do I, if my goal is to start, how do I do that? And now you probably have all those answers, 
but most coaches never communicated to their incoming freshmen. And to get their buy-in, to let them understand and not sugarcoat it, and I might even say you should do this during recruiting, to not sugarcoat where they are on the depth chart, who's ahead of them, here's what it's gonna to take to beat out this kid. And that might take two years. Um, I think that's really vital that you sit down and, and sketch, sketch out a plan, get their buy-in to that, and check in with them frequently through the season to say, because hey, look, you're, you're on plane, you're on course, how are you feeling? What, you, you've been, you haven't gotten many minutes now, so are, everything okay with you? Like what, where, where are you? Because number one, it gives them a chance to give you feedback, which you need. And number two, it shows them that you're still, this wasn't just a one-time talk to make them feel good and to, you know, to get them off your case. It was, you're, you're checking back in to see is everything still okay because you're important. And that's one thing that this generation of student athlete, and I would even say in your sport, a male student athlete, it becomes really important because whereas on the women's side, we sometimes the feeling of not starting is offset by, well, you know, this is, I just really love the friendships and you know, I love being a part of this group. And it's sort of my, my club or sorority on campus. You don't see that, that um, doesn't, on the men's side, it doesn't, usually outweigh the fact that I don't feel like there's a plan or that they want me here. Um, so again, from a procedural or, or concept standpoint, is that something you could see doing in your program and, uh, and you just have questions about how to implement that? That's yeah, it's awesome. Actually, I, like I'm thinking back to like the guys who I'm bringing in this coming fall, and I think there's really only two of them that I've actually really laid a plan out for. Mm. Of, like this is where I see you fitting in. I think right, and they're probably the better athletes, I would think. Right? Yeah. Well, that's exactly <laughs> it. One is one's going to be a true freshman coming in, and I think he's going to walk into a starting role. Like he's just got the skill, he's got the right. build. Like he'll walk right into that. And another one is is kind of a, a non-traditional guy, a little bit older. Um, you know, he's going to be a freshman, but he's, he's going to be 26, but he's, he's very high on the, on the competitive chart. So like for him, I'm right. like, yeah, this is where I see you fitting. And then I look at like kind of the rest of the guys and I'm like, oh, you know, I never really had that conversation with them. I liked where he played when I saw him here and I thought he was good. And, you know, I actually see him, see him moving into this role, but I didn't really tell him that. Right. Um, it's kind of a conversation you don't think about. Right. And so I would, um, I would definitely have that conversation, certainly with the freshmen, but uh, I think the sophomores deserve it as well. Um, you could apply to the juniors and seniors as well. I, I had an interesting conversation with a coach uh, recently, and he made the observation that there is so much support given for freshmen, incoming freshmen, you know, we're going to give you free tutoring. We got support systems. We're going to have to check in every day, regardless of division level. There's all this focus on your freshman year and making sure you're successful in your freshman year, which is good. But then what his observation was is that then they get to be a sophomore and it's sort of like, all right, you're, you're done. You're on your own. Good luck. And, and sometimes that sophomore year is where we're starting to see a lot of transfers because like, okay, my freshman year, I just had to get used to it. Maybe it'll get better. They start getting into their sophomore year and, oh man, it's the same. And I'm still miss home or I, I'm still not getting uh, the, you know, the love from the coach or an understanding of where I am. So I would just say, be aware of that and 
come up with an, an idea to sit down with all of your sophomores, all your juniors, and even your seniors to talk about what is the, you know, here, here's my view of the plan for you for this year. You know, so questions, is there anything you want different? Now, they don't have the power. I'm not suggesting that you, you turn over decision-making to them and they get to run the show, but I do want their buy-in because uh, you'll, you'll get better results participation you'll you may even part ways with another kid right at the start of the year instead of him being a cancer on the team you know the whole the whole season and quietly you know complaining about you as the coach or you know i always worry about those kids when new recruits come on campus and you know at a smaller school you have to sort of hit it out of the park there's not a lot of room for error and all i have to hear as a new recruit who's, I think I'm interested in this, this college, but eh, I'm not quite sure. There's got to be something that I should say no to it. You know, there's got to be a reason I, I don't want to be here. And if I hear, if I'm the athlete and I hear one older kid or somebody on the team say, man, coach, I don't know. He's a, sort of a jerk. He told me I was going to play and he lied to me. And it's not as great as he says it is here. You're done. And so I, I, you know, having those kids who aren't who aren't bought in uh, off the program, I think there's merit in that because at the end of the day, this is your program. Anybody listening to this podcast, you're in charge of this. It's your it's you know it's your brand, and um, I don't want uh, those kids influencing what my future uh, might might be like by by getting or not getting these. Uh, you know, these athletes on campus. So that's, that's I think, the value in, um, in having those conversations and really laying out uh, the plan. So the, the other thing that I wanted to bring up just based around this is back to the scouting side, because we talked about the numbers, we talked about keeping them. Let's go back now, because um, your first thing with the very first thing that you said in the conversation, which is the first time you told me this was, I think I'm, you know, should I have gone to another tournament? Do I have enough numbers to get these, the, you know, the, the roster right now is sitting at, at 19, let's say 20, between 19 and 21, it needs to be at 25. How many total names were you working with at the start of last year or for the class of 2019 that's going to be on your campus now as freshmen? What was that number? What, what did it legitimately start as, as a, you know, reaching out? It was right around. Um, it was like eighteen hundred ninety-five athletes. I think is, okay. is the is the number, like give or take, right around nineteen hundred. Right. Um, and that's from like tournaments, from NCSA, um, you know, kind of word of uh, word of mouth too, mm-hmm. like just some coaches who had referred guys to me, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, most of those coming from tournaments, would you say, or most of them from the online sources? I would say probably a third, a third from tournaments, and then the other third was from online sources. Okay, and then other third was referrals or just people that came knocking on your door. Yeah, that's it. Like I was at a game, you know, and uh, talking to someone, and oh, hey, you should talk to this person. Right. Ah, you know, number ten out there. Who is he? What can you tell me about him? That kind okay. of. Okay. So going through the same analytical process as a part of developing this strategy. If you looked at those three categories, tournaments, uh, NCSA and online sources, and then referrals or people coming to you, what percentage, uh, and you might even look back the last two years, 
what percentage were represented in each group of an incoming class, the, the kids that actually showed up on campus? Yeah, uh, let me see. I'm trying to think. Of Roughly. Them. Yeah, I mean, just, yeah, just rough guess. Yeah, yeah. So um, of my incoming class this year, I've so I'd say two of them were from tournaments and the others were from either incoming inquiries or kind of referrals. Okay, so two and the other number was at five then? Uh, seven. 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 So okay, seven and, and zero from the electronic or the online sources? Correct. Yep. Okay. All right, so most of your your athletes are coming in from uh, from referrals. Now, so definitely you need that. And it are, so the first question that I would have for you or for any coach that maybe uh, recruits that way or gets a number, a large number of kids from that, from that segment, are there ways to further develop that online or the, the referral network and what club coaches are saying, or if that's the way you're getting a, a strong number or a big number of, of athletes, are there ways to expand that? Uh, number one, uh, number two, I would look at, you know, zero from the electronic side. The great thing about any electronic resource, um, I say electronic, any web-based recruiting service that, that a coach would happen to use, and usually there's a lot depending on your sport that are very sport-specific, but you could take an NCSA, a Be Recruited, some of the larger sort of all-encompassing recruiting services, and you got zero from them. Not that you didn't reach out, but the net was zero. The great thing about those is that they're free sources. It doesn't really cost you to send an email out, and so there is a um, there's a there's a low acquisition cost to that in time and, and money but if you are spending an equal amount of time trying to call text uh, and reach out to that electronic um, and web-based group that right now is a third of that 1895 number I would say that you have to look and say do I want to spend as much time with that group because you're one person and and you you know what you did in terms of just day-to-day -day work, week-to-week -week work to try to develop interest with that group. And obviously it didn't pay off in the same way that the referrals paid off, correct? Correct, 100%. Okay. So, so I think any coach has to look at where the, where the um, recruits are coming from and say, is that something that that is um, that is a, a good source for me? In other words, am I spending my time wisely? And I'll take this back to um, several years ago. We had a talk uh, given by a coach, Gabe Bolton, who is a um, soccer coach out in California, Division II soccer coach, and he gave a great talk at one of our national collegiate recruiting conferences about uh, the book the pumpkin plan which any coach can get you can get it online at amazon the pumpkin plan and basically to narrow it down what he used from this book and the whole talk was about as soccer coaches in the west um you had certain tournaments that you always recruited so you always went to these tournaments you left campus left home and you spent time out recruiting at these tournaments um, soccer coaches would recognize surf cup down in san diego as sort of that's that's one of the big ones um and so you know a lot of soccer coaches i got to go to this tournament 
And he was spending a lot of time on the road, a lot of time away from his, his kids, from campus, his team, by going to all these tournaments. What the book, so I'm recommending it to every coach if they want to sort of figure out where do I get the, the where, where should I invest the most amount of time for uh, the best the best return on that time. What he did was analyze where are my best kids coming from? Where do I usually sign kids from that are valuable to the program that are uh, that are just you know the, the kind of kids that I want. And what he realized uh, was, and I'm I'm paraphrasing, and the numbers may not be accurate, but he realized that most of his kids, most of the top recruits coming in, came from three club programs, all within about a 50, 60 mile radius of campus. That's where all of his recruits were coming from. And yet he was recruiting way more kids from all these different sources because he felt like he had to. He just, everybody went to these tournaments. I need to be at the tournaments. The kids need to see me or whatever the thought process was. He completely changed the way that he recruited because he realized this is not where these kids, I'm not getting kids from these, these efforts. And I would rather spend my time with the clubs, developing the referrals, the network, where I know I'm going to get these athletes. So if there are elements in what I just said that you could apply to these three categories, the tournaments, uh, the web-based recruiting services, and referrals, if there are changes that need to be made, what I'm going to say is that you or any other coach that, that uh, you know is listening to this, you all have permission to not do things the way that they've always been done. In other words, to analyze where am I really, where is my market? Um, Because for instance, you at a smaller school in the Northeast, you could fly to LA in California and say, I'm gonna spend three weeks in LA and I'm gonna hit up 40 high schools and visit 20 club programs and get the names of 600 kids that are great soccer players Okay, you can do that, but are they all going to want to come from Southern California and come across the country to play at a small school in the Northeast? And the answer is probably no. Not that they aren't good players. Not that you can't go to those areas and recruit because you can. But does it pay off? Is it is it a, a like for like exchange? Whereas, for instance, you in the Northeast, could you go into Pittsburgh or Cleveland or another? colder weather area that wasn't completely all across the you know across the country and do the same thing yeah and you would probably have a higher rate of return because it's not as far away they're used to the cold winters and so on and so forth so i think part of the strategy is to determine of these 1900 or so names that you were recruiting and you know only you know the time and effort and energy you you had to to reach out to all of them and to exchange emails and whatever the process was you only know that. Did it pay off? Because as I'm looking at this, um, you had a couple from tournaments, but I'll bet they were more regional, local tournaments than you know ones that were far away. Absolutely. Most of them are coming from referrals. So is there a way to build that referral network? And I don't know how many, well, you said about a third of the 1,900, um, so let's just say 650 to 700 of them were from web-based services. And the return for that is is not much. Right. So should that be something that you spend a lot of time reaching out to? I would say no. Now, if it were me, based on what I've seen coaches do, if you were going to keep that the web base, let's just say, hey, Dan, I see what you're saying, but I really want to, there's kids I want to reach out to. I think they get a different message at the start. I think it's, look, I've seen you online. 
Um, I'm interested. I'm reaching out to you. Let me know. We're a we're a, in your let's say in your case a smaller private school up in the Northeast. Here's what we're all about. The kids who come here love it because A, B, C, and D. It is going to be exactly the wrong fit if a kid is looking for A, B, and C. So reply back to me. Is this is this what you're looking for? Because we'd love to talk to you, and we got we have opportunities here. But I want to know that it's the right fit. Otherwise, you know, I don't want you to be unhappy. So let me know. In other words, be more direct and don't. I wouldn't seek to develop the relationship with them over a long period of time because you're not getting anything from it. And look, if it was you were getting two from tournaments, seven from uh, web-based, and zero from referrals, well, obviously you're going to put more of the time and the effort into the web-based and maybe expand ways and maybe not work at networking uh, yourself so much. But I think that's part of the analyzing on the scouting side that coaches should do. And because um, I think it, it, it helps. And I think there's a lot of coaches out recruiting tournaments or doing things a certain way because they feel like, quote unquote, they have to do it. Or that's the way coach in my sport, that's where everybody goes to recruit. Well, that doesn't mean it's right. And it certainly doesn't mean that it's right for you. So I think it's interesting the way you broke this down um, that, uh, you know, I, I don't know that you would need to recruit that many athletes to get the same or better numbers the next time around if if all of your work was from referrals, sure. for instance, and, and going to some of the more regional tournaments. Um, and again, you analyze that tournament number. What tournaments did I go to or I've gone to over the last three years that haven't resulted in anything? that really no interest, well, then I wouldn't go to those tournaments anymore. And, you know, give yourself permission to delete and reduce the amount of time you're on the road, because I don't see any correlation between, you know, the number of tournaments that you go to and the number of wins that results in. And that's the point of all this is that you want a good program. And if it did, if I, if there was a mathematical equation that I'm seeing and hearing from coaches, my advice would be, look, Everybody, you have to go. The more tournaments you go to, you're going to get you know 10% more athletes. So keep going to the tournaments and expand it. I just don't see it. And I don't think it's, it's a, there's a point where it becomes impossible for one coach in charge of everything, after you turn off the lights and line the field, to go back then and, and, and call and email 1,900 athletes. It's, at some point, you can't do it that way. Sure. So, again, I feel like I... I threw a bunch of stuff out there conceptually. So let me, let me shut my big mouth and let you ask follow-up questions from that. And anything else that we didn't, that I we didn't cover that was sort of the source of the issue or the problem. Cause with you or anybody that's listening to this, I want to make sure that the, um, that there's, if, if some of this has, has stuck or tracked with you, I want to make sure there's an application and that there's a way to, to, to move forward from it and not just an interesting conversation to listen to, but actually, look, here's, here's how I should change it. But if you have questions about how to do that, what, what would those be? We'll be back to the show in just a minute, but first a quick question. What makes a college coach a more intelligent recruiter? Well, it starts with using technology that actually gives you insights and trends when it comes to the recruits you're communicating with. That's the mission of Advanced Recruiting Intelligence. RE gives college coaches the ability to track, rank, and communicate with recruits like no other app available to coaches. And the best part? 
it costs 20 to 40% less than what most departments are paying for their older recruiting contact management programs. For a free demo, and to see why so many coaches are saving money and using better technology to boost their recruiting results, visit ARIRecruiting.com. And now, back to the show. So I think, um, you know, you had mentioned it with like the website stuff. I kind of recognized early on that my, my return wasn't awesome with that. So I kind of mm -hmm. created like just a generic email with a link to our recruiting questionnaire. Like if this sounds like something right. you'd be interested in, you know, I, I encourage you to complete this right. questionnaire and we can continue. And so, I, and so look, I would say, the, all, and sorry for interrupting, no, but I would say that that generic questionnaire that just points them back to the questionnaire or the generic message that points them back to the questionnaire i think it becomes something much more direct and you know I, my goal if i was if i were the coach in your situation would be if i'm going to still recruit web-based which I, I probably would i would be much more direct and say look i like you and you know saw you online there's a lot of stuff i like but I got to figure out if this is the right, if you're even looking for this type of school. So again, here's who we are. Kids love it because A, B, and C. The exactly wrong type of kid who this is going to be a horrible fit for is all about A, B, and C, and D. So can you get back to me and let me, you know, first step is let me know, are we even in the ballpark? Because I want to talk to you, but only if it's if it sounds like it could be the right fit. And I would create some sort of message that was, very direct and the goal honestly and you could even keep this in mind as you're writing it the goal should be i want to get kids off this list i'm i'm i got 700 kids that i i downloaded from a recruiting source how do i get that down to the 20 or 15 that are really interested where they're in the area they're looking for a smaller school and whatever the category is that that you as a coach listening to this it might fit your school but my goal is not to get more interest my goal is to get kids off the list and reply back and have them say, hey, coach, sounds great, but that's just not for me. Glad you explained it. Good. I just maybe saved myself a lot of time and effort in recruiting a kid because one of the things we're hearing from athletes is, do they first of all, do they like to get recruited? Heck yeah. Do they like more attention from more coaches? Absolutely, because it's something now that I can take into the, the school that I really want to go to and say, well, there's, you know, who else is recruiting? The other coach asks, who else is recruiting you? Well, I got this school, this school, this school, this school, this school, this school. Wow. Okay. Well, we want, you know, we got to get on this kid. Well, five of the six schools that he just mentioned maybe are not even going to be a place that he would ever go, but it sure sounds impressive. And so I don't want that athlete. I don't want the athlete using me as the coach to simply, um, you know, to simply be using me as a bargaining chip. And many, many athletes do that. I don't even blame them for that. It's not bad. It's just that's their, they're going through their process and they're trying to parlay all their work uh, athletically into an opportunity at college. I get that. Good for them. But we're talking to coaches. And so for a coach to do that, I would want to make sure that you eliminate those kids to have them reveal that, look, coach, I'm never going to come to your school. I'm not looking for you know, the smaller Northeastern school, I want the big school in the Midwest, then I'm, I'm not going to be able to sell you probably on, on our school. And so to get that number lower, instead of a 700 number to have it be 20, 15 or 20 kids that are coach, that sounds perfect. That's what I'm looking for. And here's the other schools that I'm hearing from that are exactly like you. Good. Now I want to, I want to take you seriously. And if so, 
So the goal is not always to create more names on the list. You're going to start with a big number. And my goal, especially as a coach, if I'm by myself in the program, I want to whittle that number down as fast as possible to the kids that are really interested. And from that 20 that I get online, if I can get four or five to commit eventually, then that's a good, healthy resource uh, and a good investment in my time. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, that's a cool way to think about it. Just, you know, whittling it down. Right. Cause my right. goal, like all season, Oh, I need to be talking to more guys. I need to, to, to really grow that number. If I want to, if, if I want the yield yeah. that I'm looking for. You, well, and, and you really it's, it's I'll add on to that sentence. You want to be talking to more guys that realistically are likely to at least be seriously interested in the school. I don't have to have them commit right away. I mean, I just want that reply to be, hey, coach, yeah, that actually sounds like exactly the type of school I'm looking for. The kids that don't reply after two times or the kids that say, ah, no, that's not for me, they're off the list because you don't need – you're not recruiting – you know, huge. You're not looking for huge numbers of incoming athletes. You're not. If you're a football program and you're listening to this, then you might, you might need that. Uh, so it's a it's a totally different story. But for you, it's understanding what is my roster needs. My roster needs, let's say, on a typical year, is seven to ten athletes. I'm going to. I, I want to go where those athletes are. I don't need 700 online athletes. I need 20 or 15 even that. I could probably get three or four from, and then some from the tournaments in your case and others from referrals. Uh, But I have to work. My my goal should be, how do I eliminate you? When you're dealing with that many kids, how do I eliminate you right from the start that is, you're just not going to be a good fit. Um, And so I think that's important to remember as you write and create the message. I think it should sound a little bit like, look, we're good. You should want to be here and I want you, but here's, here's what we're all about here at our college. Here's the exactly the wrong type of kid that ends up hating it here where it's not a good fit and describe that because you know who they are and you know what, you know, why they um, left or they weren't satisfied with their experience. And that's okay. There's a lot of different colleges. We're looking for the kids that want, in your case, the smaller school, that part of the country, um, so on. You might be a school in the Midwest that is a division two or a, a small D one uh, or a, a BCS school. And it's exactly the opposite. You're, you know, I have to find the kid that wants the big school that is okay with the competition level. That is, you know, it has to, you know, check all my boxes. So as you're listening to this, no matter what coach you are, figure out what are the, what are the profile points at my school? And now how do I get kids to connect to those and and have them reveal to me what they're interested in and where they're likely to go versus what they're not interested in and and where they'll never go because if you don't ask them they'll keep you on the list and you know it was uh, when my daughter was getting recruited uh, in in track and field I thought it was she of course filled out all the the uh, questionnaires and everything and they, and one of the typical questions on a questionnaire is who are your top five schools well. <laughs> you know, she's not an idiot. That school that she was filling the questionnaire out for always made the top five because at that point she was just trying to keep them interested in her. And that's, you know, she had her process and 
for you as a coach, any coach that's listening to this, understand there are kids that are telling you, yeah, coach, I'm interested, and they're never going to come to your school. They just don't want to take you off the list because there's some comfort level. I got 20 schools recruiting me. How, how cool does that sound when I go visit the school that I really want to go to, that you're one of 20 and there's 19 other coaches that are after me? Um, you know, they know they're not dumb. They know that that's a selling point for them. And uh, I just I need you as the coach to define who those kids are, because I would say in your situation, I don't I don't um, I don't want to recruit them very seriously. Yeah, that's awesome. So other questions that maybe we didn't answer that got raised in your mind as we were going <laughs> through all of all that. So you had mentioned it a bit ago about kind of just like affiliation. And I, I feel like, you know, constantly I'm, I'm circling around in my head like, man, we're just not going to get this guy. Like we're not an NCAA school. Like he's going to be blinded by the fact that we're not like, how do you get around that? Like, is there a getting around it? You know, have we pre-programmed student athletes to just say, nope, it's the NCAA or nothing? Well, I mean, I think every, I'm going to take the, the, the 2% of schools around the country that are part of a, a B, Division One BCS school that they would see on ESPN all the time. Let's take them out of a mix. And if you're a coach that's listening and you're in that mix, then that's one of the advantages you have. You have been defined as, as the, uh, the, the top of the mountain in the, uh, in the athletic world. Um, so you may not have to battle that. But let's take a mid-major that doesn't have a football team, Division One school, they would, I would say, battle because they want the BCS kids. Um, they would battle that, that there's a perception, you know, definition change that um, that maybe they're not, uh, you know, they feel is a, is a weakness. Go down to Division Two, who wants that mid-tier Division One to the upper you know, BCS kid to come play for them at Division Two. Nobody really knows how to define D2 from the athlete, you know, parent community. What is that? Do you offer scholarships? How is it like D1? But it's not D1. Um, so I think Division Two is one of the hardest levels to recruit to. And Division Three, same thing. They have an identity crisis because, well, you're, first of all, it's going to be really hard to get in. It's really expensive and you don't offer any athletic scholarships. And I thought that's why I had been playing my sport for all these years was to get an athletic scholarship, NAIA same thing. Well, you're not a D, you're not an NCAA. So is that just as good? Is it like high school? So I think every level has its, its thing. So, so I'll ask you some questions that, you, you know, would you describe your level as being very similar to a D3 or, or an NAIA program? Yeah. So when I explain it to, to mm -hmm. guys, I tell them it's, you know, we're competitive with most, you know, low mid-level D3s. Like we are at that, that level competitively. It's just, okay. um, you know, the schools that we play tend to be similar in size to us. Whereas, you know, some of those D3 schools around us are, you know, three, five, 8,000 students. Right. Okay. So one thing just that you mentioned uh, that I would change, if that's the way that you're saying it, I would definitely not explain or define yourself as a low to mid-level Division three, Because what I just heard as an athlete who's played club sports for seven years in the hopes of going somewhere good, I don't want to go to a place that just now said that um, you're, you're, you're like a low-level D3. Because I already think D3 is low on the, on the scale, and now you're at the bottom of that part of the scale I, I don't want that. So I would I would rephrase it to something that look we operate our program, you know, just like a D three or an NAIA school would, 
But, you know, I some of the things that you would learn at a D1 or a D2 from a skill set or technique standpoint, um, you know, you're going to learn that here. Are you If you model your attack and your um, strategy on the field to a Division One, I, I would say we take the same approach. We, we run the same offense. We take the same defensive philosophy as and then name a name a bigger brand school just so that they have a way to define you and they have a way to define the school um, because I think that's the way most kids do it. Most And most parents look and say, it, it gives them a frame of reference that they might be more familiar with and it doesn't uh, cheapen or call into question the brand at your school by saying we're a low to mid-level, we're like a low to mid-level D3. Cool. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I just, I, I never, you know, wouldn't have thought about that. And then you kind of start talking about it more and you, you get into the conversation of, well, you know, it's such and such, you know, D3 school down the road. Are you ever going to compete for a national title? Well, probably not. You know, they didn't make the tournament, but, you know, where we are, they're taking, you know, this amount of teams and we were one game away from, from going to the national tournament. And at that right. point, you know, we were, we would have been competitive at that level. Um, so trying to explain it to them in that light as well. So I would say, if that's the question, I would jump in with the answer of, great question, uh, we were one game away from being in the tournament. And so what I'm trying to get with this next coming, you know, with, with this next class and your son is adding some of the pieces we were missing. So that's the goal. I want to go far. I mean, the, the goal here is to develop a national brand type of uh, program. And, you know, we're, you know, we do that with, with players. And that's why I'm recruiting your son. So, so again, like as you, and I'm really glad we sort of dove into this, uh, this little, you know, uh, side tangent of the wording because, and for anybody that's listening, you may describe it very accurately. You might've just nailed with both of those two explanations, a very honest, accurate assessment of where you're at now. And I don't want you to lie to them because then they show up and we get back into the attrition, you know, thing that where they leave. I want you to be honest, you know, about the size of the school. Here's what the winters are like. Here's how we practice in the winter. Um, here's, uh, you know, what you know, from a plan standpoint. Here's what uh, what your 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 plan is. I I want you to be truthful, but I also want you to think as a marketer would think. What? How are they going to read? Or what is the most negative way they could take about what I'm saying and retranslate it into something that they're going to define us as? So one of the things that we talk about in the workshops that we do, or you know, as we work with clients, what we're very conscious of is trying to, whatever wording we're using, I don't want them, I don't want that for them to read or hear something and say, ah, oh, okay, well that's why I'm going to cross you off the list because, you know, maybe you 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 you're just like you define yourself, you admitted that you were a low to mid level D three, well that you know I don't even want to play D three. Um, and now you just told me that you're at the bottom of that. I don't want to go there. And, and which is, and, but it's not true because you were one game away. And so there's these, I, I don't want you to back into wording accidentally that would cast a negative definition on the program. Um, and I still, I think you can still be truthful. So there's that balance. I just want you to be careful about the words that you use. And when you write something, before you send it out, say, okay, if I'm a 16, 17-year-old kid in my sport that um, thinks they should be playing D1, and the parents probably think, you know, 
my my kid's getting ripped off. He's not getting the attention that the other kids on the club team are, and he's just as good as them, or you know, whatever parents and athletes are going to think when they read your message. Read it through the most ne- potentially negative filter that you can, and that's probably how they're going to look at you. Now, you someday in three years or four years, you do well at your school, and now you're coaching at the the BCS level. You are at the Division One school. You may not have to put as much focus on that because you're where yeah, that's the goal. I'm supposed to want to play Division One, right? And but right now you're not. You're you're at a place where it's. I wasn't supposed to end up here. I didn't, as the parent, as the dad, I didn't pay all this money for my son to play club soccer, and uh, and now I'm going to pay forty thousand dollars a year to have him go play soccer at a school. They didn't offer him an athletic scholarship and he can't even have a signing ceremony at his school because you're not going to give him an athletic scholarship or that's the, the mindset. I just don't want to go there. Um, I want to define it as something, uh, you know, much, much better. And because they're listening to how you define your school, they're listening when they come onto campus. How are you describing the facilities? Uh, those those are things that um, I think are really important. That's cool because it, it's always been like that that talk of like you know you're at a tournament and mom and dad ask you oh you know what school are you from I've never heard of that are you guys in the NCAA well no we're we're here and this is who we play against and this is what we are and oh oh okay. <laughs> and then they kind of just don't even write your name down and kind of move on to the next coach down the line when they're handing out the right. team flyer or whatever it is it's okay like, oh, well cool great <laughs> right so so okay so in that vein um, explain. Give me, because this is a fresh question, we haven't prepped any of this, as people listening have probably figured out by now, this is not a scripted um, <laughs> scripted conversation. What would you say is, when they ask you that question, and for those of you listening, it could be any objection that, that you run into, um, it's important to answer it. How would you describe, when they answer that question, if you were, if you're, if I was going to start off the sentence as a coach, or I was going to require that you start off the sentence by saying, you know what, actually... We're actually better than an NCAA program. Here's how. What would you say? Without overthinking it, what do you say the advantages of of what they what they get with your program or being at that school? Man, um, they I think they get just a much more like fulfilling experience just with the involvement of our athletic director within our athletics and all of our coaches. Um, I think that's how, what, what do you mean by a fulfilling experience? Um, so I, like our, I talk about our athletic director all the time. He like just knows it's really uncanny that he knows every athlete's first name and like their hometown. I'll see him walking around the halls like, Oh, right. Hey, you know, Jacob from skinny Atlas. How are you? And it's like, right. wait a second. How does he know? Like, how does he know me? Okay. Okay. Uh, so stop there and just, so that's a great example. Why, why should a kid care about that? You're talking to a 17-year-old kid. So you've just explained about the athletic director. What, again, we're, we're taking an objection and we're trying to craft it into an advantage. So the athletic director actually knows your name. So Josh, here's why, that, why you should want that. Or Mr. You know, Mr. Tudor, here's why you should want that. What you should look for a school that has that type of athletic director. What, what's the benefit or the payoff for, for that student that gets that athletic director what what how does it how does it benefit them yeah man so well connected you would have a job in no time if you ever asked them for a reference okay perfect 
You're going to have an athletic director who knows all about you in four years as you go out and use your degree to get this job. That's that's why we're actually better than an NCAA program where you're not going to get that with most athletic directors. Now, there could be more, but just on that, you've now given the parents and the athlete a reason to say, huh, okay, well, first of all, I hear that. I'm, well, maybe the NCAA thing isn't that important. Um, and I immediately started thinking about the other six schools that are recruiting me. Huh, I, you know what? The athletic director didn't even introduce himself. Um, or I don't know, do they do that there? The coach didn't talk about it there. And you've now, even though it might be the same at those other six schools, if that coach doesn't get into the details and define it and make it make it very clear that here's why you should want this and here's what we have here, you win. So whatever the objection is, and you're taking this case that you aren't an NCAA school, my point would be to say we aren't. And there's actually a huge advantage that you get by not being an NCAA school because most parents are going to sort of cock their head and say, what, what? I, that's not what I've heard before. My club coach has been saying NCAA, he's been drilling that into me and you're saying it's not good. So you've captured my attention and now you're making the case. Now it's there. They get the option of saying, no, I disagree with you. In the end, it is important to be an NCAA school. Okay. Well, you made your case. They decided they didn't agree with it and you move on. So it's not going to work with everybody, but I think it's your responsibility or any coach's responsibility to go out and define your school and answer the questions as objectively and as positively as possible. And look, for again, for you may have others, other objections that you get hit with. I would come up with the same program. Here's why it's better, or here's why it's just as good as another school. Here's why you should want this here. For anybody listening, you have your own set of objections. That's part of this conversational strategy is to be prepared for those. You know what they are. So how how do you answer them? And, and I would use that formula to, to always define and figure out a way, wait, here's why, you know, so you're right, we're not this, or you're right, our facilities are old, or we're not uh, an NCAA, or we don't give athletic scholarships, or we're a small school, whatever it is, or it does snow in the winter. <laughs> Here's why you should want that and build out some reasons, because I think that's what they're that's what they're interested in is get me past this objection. Um, and what I always tell coaches is that if somebody asks or objects about something, it's not because they're not interested. They're actually interested when they voice an objection. We cover this in the workshops that we do all the time. We spend a lot of time on objections because I want coaches to understand that when an athlete gives you an objection, it's your third or fourth or fifth conversation. You hear them on the phone or via text saying, hey, coach, you know, it's just I'm not sure I can go that far away from home. Seems really far. My dad's talking about how's he going to come watch the games. And man, I just don't know. They're not bringing that up because they want to argue with you. Um, if I'm not interested in the school, I don't bring it up because why do I want you to try to convince me? I'm bringing it up because I'm throwing it out there and basically saying, I don't know how to answer this, coach. Can you help me answer it? and come up with the answer for them. So that's what this strategy is all about. And I think that's really important. The way that you word things and not describing what you aren't, but going in and saying, here's why it's just as good and make the case and then let them decide whether or not they agree with it. Yeah, uh, just kind of defining who you are, I guess. Right. And then who you're not. Right, exactly. Exactly. So, so as a wrap up, um, 
give me sort of your takeaways from this and what what you would say your next step or your next strategy is that uh, that that you're going to do because I think coaches would be interested to sort of hear you say here's what I took away and and here's where I think I need to change how would, what would you bullet point for us yeah so first things first I think kind of as I'm looking to book my travel for my recruiting season coming up I'm kind of going to really take a fine look at like where are my players coming from where right. do I need to spend more time and maybe spend less time you know, and again, a great a great book to do that with, uh, which is really an interesting book to read. is called The Pumpkin Plan. I'm actually looking at it on my bookshelf right now. Um, so you can find it on Amazon and great book that will just help you figure out how do I whittle it down to what my market is. Yeah, I, I think that's huge because I, I look back and I like, you know, I made a, a 21 hour road trip to Tampa because I didn't have the money to, to fly down there. And then I look like, yeah, OK, I had some great conversations and met some great people. But at the end of the day, like none of that flushed out to where, you know, any of those right. guys were committed. So it's like, well, OK, it was fun. But was it, you know, was it a worthwhile use of time and effort? Sure. I think that's a, a huge one. And I think sure. uh, moving forward to like not getting stuck on. Well, we're not NCAA, but we are. I think it, it you know, it's a, a great way to phrase it. Like, yeah, okay, we're not the NCAA, but this is who we are, and we're, we're right. kind of better in in all senses of the. Of right. The and, and can I jump in too? Because that's a great point. I would jump in too and and let coaches know and let you know that as you're doing that, most kids are really focusing on how you're answering the question and whether or not you think it's a problem. Are you defensive? When, they, when you walk into a facility and it's older or your, your locker room is older and and if your attitude or the way you're talking is, well, this is our locker room and I know you're probably the better one at high school and man, I'm on RAD, he won't, he won't redo it. You know, I just, but we make, it's the best that we have. So, okay, well, you're telling me that that should be something that I don't like. And um, what I would walk in and do and say in that situation is like, so, hey, here's our locker room. I'm guessing you probably have seen better, right? Yeah, your high school might even be better. But that's for us, it's just a place to keep our clothes. The cool thing that happens in here is, you know, after a win, the guys are dancing around, they bl blast the music. Um, you know, figure out why, how, what is the positive of it? And can I give them an impression or can I give them the feeling like, look, to us, this is no big deal. And it's home. So this is what our home is. You know, hopefully you like it. If not, then it's just not right for you. Um, you know, so I would I would sort of take it in that vein that you're they're listening to how you reply and not just the information that you reply with. So sorry to interrupt you. I just want to make that point. So so <laughs> go in. That's all right. Uh, I think there's something totally valuable in, in saying, you know, saying what you're going to say with some kind of conviction and that you believe it. I mean, if, right. Oh, it is huge. And they're listening. They're listening to how you answer that question. That was my big thing when I played, you know, we went into a season with 13 guys and it was just holding on for dear life. But before a game, it was like, uh, the locker room, the vibe was like, oh man, these guys are going to kill us. And I was like, no, you guys are going to play great. Let's just go out, do what we do and, and get it done. And sure enough, with a little bit of belief, we, it was one of the better seasons we had had in a long time. So it was kind of really, yeah. you know, <laughs> cool. Yeah. really cool. But I, I think, you know, finally just not over recruiting, but looking for a larger, you know, a larger number, um, for like the total to be brought in, like so our net is a little bit more where we want it and not right. taking not, into account the attrition that happens. Exactly, I think that was something I wasn't really taking into account. You know, going into the season just based on prior seasons, the attrition wasn't really 
you know, there wasn't a ton of it because we weren't overly competitive. It was kind of just, yeah, some guys will show up. It'll be all right. But now it's kind of a little bit, a little bit different where it needs to be a little more thought out and planned. And I guess my last question is, do you feel better now at the end of this call versus the beginning uh, in terms of like a move forward strategy? Yeah, a hundred percent. Actually, I'm not. I'm not so concerned about my future as a as a coach. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, take that. That's a win. In my book, that's a win. <laughs> there's. I'm not worried. There's going to be a mutiny here on the first day of preseason. And that's how the conversation ended, Coach. Hopefully, that helped. Listening in to somebody else in your position, trying to develop a strategy that will work. Now, obviously, your situation is going to be a little bit different from that coach's. But the point is that if you follow the main ideas we outlined and adapt it to your situation, you should be able to put together a really solid start to a great recruiting strategy. And if you need help, my email is dan at dantutor.com. Happy to meet, talk, and go over anything possible with you to help you get off uh, on the right foot when it comes to developing this right strategy. Because if you think about it, this is the foundation of everything else that you're going to do in recruiting. And that's why we wanted to kind of go through it with that coach so that you could learn the same way that he did. More information about everything that we do is at www.dantutor.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Dan Tudor. And I, at the beginning of the show, told you about the new resource at dantutor.substack.com for you wanting a little daily dose of all this. Uh, we are happy to provide it to you. Have a great week, coach. Get busy developing that strategy, and we'll talk to you next time here on the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. The College Recruiting Weekly Podcast is a production of Tudor Collegiate Strategies, copyright 2016 through 2020. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or stream us on Stitcher, and make sure to tell the coaches in your department about the show. Email the host at dan at dantutor.com and visit the website to access more of the free resources we give to the college coaching community. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. So I feel, I definitely feel better.